Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S. For additional data and content, you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. We always start with Exhibit C. I think the answer on Exhibit C is so far so good. The Saudis are down under 9 million barrels, admirably disciplined. The U.S. continues to go up 24 here at 12.7 will be exceeded. 23 was over 13. Russia probably will remain in the 10 range. So the problem is supply, not demand. OPEC has the economics department. They came out yesterday and said they thought demand this year was going to be up by 2 million barrels per day. Should be good. So it's not a, not a demand problem, it's a supply problem. Same thing on Exhibit B. One of the alarming things is we have an estimate on Exhibit B for gas production of 104 bees a day in the U.S. And that number, based on plots, has been running at 106 the last several days. So that's, that's kind of of concern. We, we can't tell for sure <coughs> where the extra two bees a day is coming from, but we think it's associated gas from the Permian because the Waha price and the other prices in West Texas have been low relative to Henry Hub. Uh, the current the, the March contract is under two dollars, trading a dollar eighty or something like that. The weather forecast for the rest of the country is for the second half of February is quite warm, and so that is that is hurting residential demand. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the weather will generally the weather averages out. Hopefully, we'll start to see some colder weather in the next few weeks. Government revenues and expenses, I, I don't know, given you know, with having all this publicity between the two parties, I don't know what they're planning to do in terms of getting the 12 expenditure bills done by early March. I guess we'll hear more about that in the next week or two. I thought one of the things we do today, because we tend to start at the front of the memo and and, uh, and we don't get to the back of the memo. But I just keep going from the back of the memo. For those with the 20 pages in their hands, page 20 uh, is Uber, DoorDash, Airbnb, Five Below, and Etsy. Etsy being a new addition. I don't really have any news on any of these companies. Uber had pretty good results and announced a big stock buyback. I suppose people who own Uber or hope that it becomes kind of a a monopoly as a practical matter. Airbnb, just recent news articles, there seems to be less travel plans going forward, especially international going forward. So that, that won't help Airbnb. DoorDash, I know I've been asked about DoorDash. I just think that they're up against Uber, and, and that isn't necessarily a good place to be. As you can see, those who don't have the schedule in front of you, 
DoorDash is about a cash flow break even after CapEx, where Uber does have free cash flow. So uh, between the two, I think uh, you're better off in Uber. Mike, Jason, anything to add on those five companies? I, I mean, I think you hit it. Uber had a strong quarter. Uh, Airbnbs was sort of mixed. They burned down a lot of their um, un, unearned revenue, is my understanding. So cash flow actually in that quarter, when you account for the burn down in, in, uh, in unearned right. revenue, it was pretty minimal, um, which was a big change from the year before. Even in the fourth quarter, they held or didn't have as big of a drawdown in that unearned revenue. So I think part of that's the, you know, the millennials and zennials aren't doing as many of these month-long trips and renting places and working from home. People are going back in the office and maybe a little less flexibility on the travel schedule. All right. Anything else, Jason? We're going to lean on Jason on page 19 because we have a lot of help shared here. So we can, should we go on to 19, <laughs> Jason? Uh, sure. Yeah. Here it's all healthcare, And I, I just make a couple of comments on this from just seeing recent news. United Health seems to be pretty solidly established. It's got an enormous amount of free cash flow. It's got $29 billion of free cash flow. CBS is CBS is trying to play catch up, but they have a drug chain attached. And I think that's holding them back. Regeneron is just seems to be a very well-managed pharmaceutical company. Biogen, Jason can fill us in, but I think they're having trouble. I think there was the potential there was a drug that I think they're giving up on for Alzheimer's. And Eli Lilly, of course, is the, the star of the parade here, trading at 70 times free cash flow you know, with, with a product that is in high demand. Jason, over to you to fill in this page. Yeah, Eli Lilly's interesting where the demand for GLP-1 drugs seems like it's uh, uh, infinite. <laughs> um, it, the read-through on some of these, like Kraft Heinz and Campbell Soup and, and the other kind of snack producers is interesting. Their, their sales have been down pretty significantly, really. Um, and they blame it on the, the tightening consumer and and certainly that's probably true, but I wonder how much of it is that uh, a large percentage of the population might be taking GLP-1 drugs and uh, eating less snacks and mac and cheese, you know, in the case of Kraft Heinz and, and, and the like. Um, as, as far as United Health Group and, and CVS, um, for me, I, I really don't like the pharmacy benefit management business that those two have. Um, and then in, in recent news, the FTC has launched an investigation on uh, some of the drug uh, distributors, uh, which is kind of interesting. The, Mike and I have a theory that, that the FTC is really trying to do a fact-finding mission to build a case against the PBMs um, and, and just wrapping their hands around whole drug manufacturing distribution and, and negotiation process. Um, it really doesn't seem like, the, you know, the headline was they're investigating drug shortages and, and distributors causing shortage, but, you know, it, it smells like that's not true if the distributors would benefit by distributing more drugs. So um, 
maybe they're ultimately going after the PBM business. Right. Anything else, Michael? No, nothing to add there. Jason's Jason's got it. Yeah. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. This is not an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. And now, back to the show. Page 18, Report Alphamel, CF, and Nextera. I'm going to leave Nextera for last, but Report Alphamel and CF illustrations of commodities that are going down, or at least not going up very much. Reports copper, albumol is lithium, and CF Industries is ammonia. And uh, all these companies have pretty good balance sheets, not much debt. And they're still at lower commodity prices or disappointing commodity prices, producing free cash flow. But where we're all looking for whether or not the Fed is going to get enough reduction of inflation to bring interest rates down, those three companies, and commodity companies like them, are not the problem. Commodity prices are really quite weak. Nextera is interesting. Uh, they are the largest producer of solar and wind power in our country, and they have a sister company, a partnership that they put solar and wind projects in that has has, has, has that borrows money and kind of as a kind of a financing tool for Nextera. And Nextera also has a very strong utility, Florida Power and Light. But it is disappointing. And I think what's happening here, if we get far enough towards the front, we're going to talk about Tesla. We'll break some time off to talk about Tesla. And we see not that big a take-up of EVs. One of the things you see with Nextera, there's really not that big a take-up of alternative energy when it's solar is you know, it's disappointing. And of course, $2 gas means $20 per megawatt hour power. And an awful lot of these projects were built with higher power prices projected. So it, it hurts next there and it hurts the other smaller participants uh, in that market. Anything, Mike, on the, on 18? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to the Albemarle earnings because the, Futures prices or the commodity prices that we look at for lithium are based in China. And because of the rules kind of set up in order to get the EV tax credit uh, deal, you now have to have a certain percentage of the materials come from U.S. sources. So I think there's probably a divergence in the price between what you're able to achieve in China versus what you achieve in the U.S. Um, we're hearing, and the other thing on lithium is we're hearing pretty good news out of the projects that are going on at the uh, Salton Sea here in Southern California. Um, those projects seem to be making progress and expanding and moving through their phases of development. So it seems like the industry is still forecasting the consumption of the materials that will you know, support development of new projects. Right. 
Yeah, battery battery technology is moving along too, as we can see from S1, CATV, and BYD, and and uh, it all seems to still be based on lithium. But you know, progress is being made. Uh, make, I mean that uh, we can tell you because we're in the business in your town of utility scale batteries. The price of batteries is also about thirty percent. So there's no question that the people that make batteries, largely in China. Are, uh, are figuring out how to make them for less money. Um, I'm going to skip page 17 because I'm embarrassed. I was supposed to update it last weekend. I just didn't get to it. So uh, let me update it, and then you can hit it, uh, talk about those companies next Wednesday. The next page, working from the back, is page 16, which is McDonald's, Starbucks, Chipotle, Celsius, built worldwide, Mike and Jason have owned Celsius for a while. It's the smallest and, and maybe the more interesting company on this page. They do have free cash flow. Uh, they have kind of a big brother in PepsiCo, which owns part of owns their preferred stock and uh, has distribution rights for the product. I guess we'll go to Jason. Jason was the one who discovered Celsius by during COVID by uh, having an outdoor gym and noticing everyone was was drinking it. But Mike and Jason have done a lot of research on the take up of Celsius and it it's the one of the one of the best stocks in the past ten years, if not the best, was another beverage company, Monster, uh, beat Apple, beat everyone. But one of the interesting things about Celsius is they have gotten to the point where they do have free cash flow. And the question is how far will it carry and you know what what is the competition? Or these, I, I guess you'd call them, you know, alternatives to traditional uh, traditional uh, beverages. So over to you, Jason. You're the you're the one who gets credit for finding Celsius. Uh, how does it look to you at this point? Yeah. Besides achieving free cash flow, they, they hit another milestone in in having double digit market share in energy drink, which other than Red Bull and Monster, no one else has achieved. Um, it's been a duopoly, um, and yeah. you know Celsius is is drink. Their drinks are sugar free, um, and the and the industry is moving more in that direction. Uh, Monsters being a little slow to move that way, um, only now just kind of recognizing that the more health conscious consumer would is interested in drinking energy drinks, um, but they're. They're behind on, on developing product there. Um, and Celsius already has has the following. So they have national distribution through PepsiCo. Um, they're now distributed almost everywhere. Um, so the, the goal for that company now is expanding in the markets, um, getting more getting more brand recognition and, and more people to go buy the product in the convenience store. They also just recently expanded into Canada. Um, and then are discussing um, expansion into Europe as well, which might occur sometime this year. Well, and on the international front, it's worth mentioning their sponsorship of Formula One. Uh, that gets them some pretty good international coverage. Although, Jason, I've been discussing as to whether Formula One's really the right venue for them to be advertising in, um, going head to head with Red Bull, since that's really their territory. Um, and, you know, remembering the fact that this is a beverage that's consumed 50% by women. 
So spending maybe spending the money on the, the sponsorship of Formula One, we don't know the dollar amount. Um, you know, you might have rather seen a different uh, ad spend or marketing spend. Right. They're, yeah, they're, their marketing spend, other than that, is largely through um, social media channels. Right. Comment on McDonald's and Starbucks and Chipotle restaurant business is pretty expensive, you know, 30 times or more free times free cash flow. McDonald's doesn't seem to grow too much. Chipotle does. Guess if if you could get past that, you know, paying 30 times free cash flow between Chipotle and McDonald's, I guess you go with Chipotle. The other interesting thing on this page is Hilton. Hilton would be the kind of anti-Airbnb. Airbnb is not necessarily good for hotels. Hilton doesn't really own hotels. They just franchise them. So it, it's a it's an interesting business. Again, it'd be much better to get it for a lower price, rating for 24 times free cash flow. That's certainly an interesting business. The next page is in the healthcare again, and Mike and Chase are fans of Lantheus and Vertex Pharmaceutical. The others, uh, Pfizer, Bio, Moderna, and BioNTech, of course, uh, had huge cash flow when with, during COVID. But fortunately for all of us, COVID has really quieted down. So demand for COVID vaccines is way, way off. Any any commentary on news on Vertex Pharmaceutical or Lantheus, Jason? Uh, Lantheus has having a change in management. Um, so we're, we've got our eyes on that and we'll, we'll have more details shortly. Oh, Lantheus had that study that, um, for the tau protein one, that's interesting. Yeah. A recent announcement. So they, they have, um, a pretty early stage diagnostic for Alzheimer's where they can image tau protein tangles in the brain, um, and some news there is um, a large national study is is going to use their diagnostic as uh, while they're investigating the progression and causes of Alzheimer's. So, so it, it, that is a competitive market, but it's it's interesting and and good to see that they're the one winning business there. Right. We want to we want to save a little time for uh, developments at Tesla. But if we could do one more page here. Page 14 is the manufacturing companies. Although Fastmill really isn't a manufacturing company, it's a, it, it's a marketing company of fast, you know, fasteners and saw blades and that kind of stuff. Very, very, very good performer over a long number of years. Same thing for Transdot. Caterpillar and Deer are just dominant in their fields. And here your free cash, your times free cash flow gets into the mid teens, which is much more reasonable. Things like Transdyne and, and Fastenal with their long term performance, those ratios times free cash flow are in the twenty five thirty range. Caterpillar and Deer have good long term records and market values times free cash flow in the thirteen fourteen times range. Any comment there, Mike? No, but uh, 26 isn't a bad number for Fastenal. I mean, historically, we've seen it higher than that. So um, yeah, maybe we're spending true. a little more time on. That is true. I'm going to skip the uh, thanks. I'd like to get the 10 Qs for J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs and get numbers down. And then 
the next few pages are energy, uh, which I think we can skip for next week or the week after. Then we get into the retailers. Uh, uh, only comment here is that, that uh, it's remarkable. I know I've said this before, but when you look at free cash flow in Walmart, which does 640 million of sales and free cash flow of 17, and then you look at Home Depot, which does 155 billion of sales and 21 billion of free cash flow. It's remarkable how Home Depot and Lowe's are, you know, make much better free cash flow margins than, than more diversified stores. I think we've talked recently about MasterCard and Visa, just really good businesses and very difficult for other payments businesses to compete with. And then last week, we talked about bundling Netflix and Charter and Comcast and AT&T and Verizon. And we just want to emphasize, you know, I talked to Mike every morning, we really, it's really, and, and including Netflix, it's really unclear who's going to emerge there. And Walt Disney and Amazon Prime. Uh, so from an investment point of view, it's interesting. It's certainly something that's happening. But trying to take an investment out of that is just too hard. Any any additional comment there, Mike or Jason? What I what I'd add is last week we kind of talked about you know what's the upside if that Disney Fox Warner deal works. Um, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today or yesterday um, by Holman Jen Jenkins, and he basically paints the bear case <laughs> for why it won't work. Um, so if you're interested on the topic, there's a good, um, it's a good perspective and probably the higher probability reality for that particular deal. We're all the way up to page three. Everyone will be looking for the NVIDIA results. People who project results at NVIDIA are awfully bullish. Mike and Jason own the stock. So what, what, how do you, how do you think about uh, NVIDIA at these kind of levels? Uh, I mean, you're, it was a lot easier stock to own or to acquire at much lower levels. Jason, Jason, oh, a number of weeks ago made a good point. That is, the GPUs are great, but if you add up what people are paying NVIDIA for their G GPUs, it's going to be a pretty high percentage of all data center spend. So. That is a percentage to uh, keep in mind when trying to figure out uh, exactly uh, how far NVIDIA can go. Uh, Mike or Jason, any comment on that? Well, uh, as far as valuation goes, um, it's cheaper than an AMD. Um, <laughs> and ARM. And, and ARM, and, and more promising from, from that perspective and more reliable. The question is, and it's always the case in semiconductors, is where does the cycle end? Because um, the semiconductor industry inevitably works in cycles. Um, the thing that would be the would slow this down quickly is if people were not making money on the end products. Today, NVIDIA works because the payback period for a cloud provider is something like 12 months for the hardware. So it's a no-brainer investment from the perspective of um, Google, Amazon, um, and Microsoft. 
but they're renting out those servers to individual companies, whether they're Fortune 500s or startups, and they're doing stuff with them. And that stuff can range from training a large language model to um, improving an existing software solution by adding some artificial intelligence stuff to it. Um, and what matters is if the take-up of those improved software, because they have AI in it, if that take-up is good, then this trend should continue. If the take-up is not good, we would definitely expect a, you know, the end of this, this bull cycle, if you will, and the beginning of a, of, you know, at some point you get some capacity overbuilt. At this point, we don't have a ton of data yet. We're in the stage of this where if a company says they're doing something in or around AI, they get a valuation bump. If you break down all of the software as a services companies, there's a clear uh, uh, difference if they talk about in valuation as far as multiple, most of the software as services companies are generally valued based on a multiple of next 12 months revenue. The companies that have an AI bent have a higher uh, multiple. It doesn't mean that they're actually selling anything or they're actually doing a better job. Um, and it'll only take, it'll take time for that to kind of trickle through. Um, but I, I can guarantee you that the end state product that's going to drive this thing is not a $20 chat GPT subscription. It's going to be other stuff. Um, and we found some things that are quite interesting um, from a simple task, like the production of this podcast. Um, it, you know, Jason and I like to spend as much of our time as possible researching stocks, not editing video and, and producing content for the, the podcast. So we try to minimize this as much as possible. Um, and we found a number of tools that have made it so that producing this entire prod podcast takes a couple hours where if you had tried to do this whole thing, um, especially with video three or four or five years ago, you'd be talking a full eight hour day to get it produced properly. So, um, so these things do save time. Uh, the other big dynamic that's sort of happening is you have Sam Altman that's running around trying to raise $7 trillion with a T um, for this, um, for this, I guess they're going to build a bunch of fabs. Jason and I have a very small but off interest in the one of the companies that is supposedly going to be building or designing the chips for uh, for OpenAI. So we're sort of interested in that, um, and they're kind of promoting this like highly regulated um, AI approach. Meanwhile, Nvidia is sort of promoting the no, you should be able to do it all on your own. And they are Jensen and Sam Altman are kind of publicly, not specifically addressing each other, but indirectly promoting two different views of what the future will hold. Um, and and on that note, Nvidia released a product called Chat RTX, which basically gives you the ability to run a smaller large language model on a desktop computer with a NVIDIA RTX 30 or 40 series graphics card. So what that does is it kind of fuels this um, open source movement for large language models, which 
I think Jason agrees with me, but in general, I think that it'd be better. And I think the likely long-term value of those models is will decline to zero and there'll be different pieces of the specific data and the way that they're configured that is where the value will be captured. So um, we're seeing that fight play out kind of live in front of us. And it's um, all I can say is it's exciting. We don't know who's going to win, but uh, the, the technology is moving very quickly. I think OpenAI is admitting that it's the data is important without saying it. They'll tell you the model is important, but then they release their custom GPTs where you add your own data into it, into the training and, and somehow make it more valuable. And they have a marketplace for that. So that's clearly that the data is differentiating these models and not the underlying technology. Yeah, which should play well for companies like Snowflake and, and some others that, uh, that allow you to train on, on specific data. I think we think we've, uh, we're, we're, we're going to have to leave Tesla for next Wednesday. Uh, I think we've kind of run out of our 30 minutes. Uh, the, the only comment I'd have on Tesla is the same as on Xterra, and that is that despite the push to do more alternative energy and more battery cars and whatnot, the battery car take-up is uh, really kind of slowed down. And as well as the getting power from wind and solar. But another subject we can spend some more time on next week. In the meantime, everyone, stay well and be healthy, and we'll be on in seven days' time. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the security 